leftovers. Or the DMV. Or house cleaning. Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the midcourt strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me this week, I've got a very special guest. He's a regular on the program and a fellow sports business classroom alum, Frankie Neifinger. Frankie, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Garrett. You know, I'm a very special guest, but I'm pretty sure last week Scott Levine was a very special guest. So at some point, you're going to need to tear out kind of like how Nate and Danny do. You're like your top 15 guests and put them in different tiers and have the, you got to explain the caveat that the tiers are necessary, are pretty much negligible. And, you know, if you're in the same tier, it's fine. Don't get mad about that. You can get mad about different tiers. You have to do that whole thing once at some point. Well, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't say this beforehand, but, you know, next week I've got one of my most mediocre guests coming on. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, if uh, if you haven't heard Frankie on the show before, he's a big time Dallas Mavericks fan. So we're going to be breaking down this team. And uh, Frankie, the Mavs currently sitting at 30 and 26 overall. Seventh in the Western Conference, they are 11th in offensive rating, 24th in defensive rating, and have a net rating of positive 0.9, which is 13th in the association. And uh, most recently, uh, they lost to the Sacramento Kings 121-107 on Sunday night and have actually lost four of their last five. So not the greatest stretch for the Mavs. We've also heard some some complaining from the likes of Luka Doncic and Mark Cuban about the the fact that uh, uh, they they don't like the play-in game now because they're specifically sitting in the spot (laughs) where they're in the play-in. How timely of them to have that opinion, right? Exactly. Even though the the vote for the play-in, I think, with the owners was unanimous. (laughs) It was unanimous. (laughs) 
this this Mavs team not playing the best of basketball as of late, but still sitting currently in the, uh, you know, if you were going to be in the play-in, they're in the prime spot. Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess that's the the bittersweet, you know, silver lining takeaway is that we are the, the number one seed in the play-in. So I'll take that, I guess. But I think, what is it, maybe two games back of the Blazers now, and I think they have a pretty tough tough stretch coming up. But it would have been nice if these last, I think, I was looking at the last seven games. They were two and five, and it was supposed to be one of our better stretches of the year, one of our easier stretches. So not what you want, not what you're hoping for, but that's kind of that's kind of been the season for the Mavs so far. It's just, you know, not really living up to expectations and for whatever reason seem, you know, seem uh, just seem flat. If you watch the games, they, they don't play with as much energy as you would like. Yeah, the, uh, you know, one of those easy games seemingly would have been against Sacramento at home, uh, but uh, they ended up giving up a 45-point second quarter in that one. And, you know, one of the things, obviously, that uh, that propelled Dallas to such a great season last year was the, you know, having the number one offense in the NBA. So to be, you know, outside of the top 10 at 11th right now, that's pretty disappointing. And looking at the stats, it, it largely seems to be, a drop off in offensive rebound rate and also that free throw rate. And, you know, looking at the defensive end, they've also given up more free throws to their opponents. And you think about how each side of the floor sort of impacts the other. The fact that Dallas isn't getting to the line as much on the offensive end, which helps, you know, set up their defense and their opponents are getting to the line more, which helps set up their defense. It kind of, uh, you know, hampers both sides of the floor. Yeah, the Matt, I mean, they're always playing in the half court on offense. And granted, I think they probably have one of the better half court offenses in the league, but just transition offense is going to be better than your half court offense, really, no matter what team you play for. So being able to get to the line, prevent the other teams from getting to the line would be huge. That one thing I've noticed is I know Luke is still driving a ton. And he's, you know, he's always been driving a ton, but he's been expanding his game, working on the mid range. And by doing so, you're generally going to be taking away those, those, you know, you're stunting those drives that would have gotten you to the hoop. And whether he's finishing at the hoop or he's getting fouled, those plays are fewer and more far between because he's electing to take those mid range shots. Now, on the one hand, I think that makes winning games in the regular season more difficult. I think it's a less it's less conducive to, you know, having the best offense in history like they did last year, or at least offensive rating. However, in the postseason, and you know, whether it's this year or next year or three years down the line, being able to have that mid-range jumper and that mid-range offense and that mid-range threat that the defense has to think about. Being a three-level scorer is an entirely different ballgame and super, super valuable in the postseason. So while I watch the games this year and I do get frustrated when he maybe cuts a drive short or he pulls up or, or whatever it is, I'm kind of putting myself in the mind of the Mavericks organization and the coaching staff and Luca, and say, okay, we want you to be able to make a mid-range shot in the playoffs when you need to but we're not going to have you practice those in the playoffs. So we're going to practice them in the regular season. So you're sacrificing maybe better offense in the regular season to potentially be in a better position to win a game in the postseason. So that's, 
that's kind of the way I've seen him play this year is work on expanding his game and expand what he can do on the offensive end. And when you do that, when you put in practice, you know, it's, it's not always going to yield the optimal results, but you got to do it that way when you're 28 and 29, you're, you know, you're unstoppable. You've already perfected everything when you were 22 years old. So that's, that's what I've seen. Um, that's the headspace that I feel like they're in and it, you know, it makes complete sense to me, but it is, you know, it's really knocking their offense. It's really knocking the free throw rate. Um, and it just kind of, you know, it's just kind of the breaks of what they're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, you, you set up my, my next couple of notes because yeah, <laughs> okay. I've, I've got some, some stats to support what you're saying there. Uh, last year, 33% of Doncic's attempts were at the rim. That's down to 25% this season. So uh, you're, you're absolutely right. He's not getting there quite as much, um, you know, from a third of his attempts down to a, a quarter of his attempts. And then, yeah, the mid-range game, he's gotten significantly better. He, uh, he's at 50% from short mid-range. That was 42% last year. 51% from long mid-range, that was 32% uh, last season. And another thing that I think, you know, you, I've noticed a lot from watching him is he's, uh, you know, he's continued to develop. He's always been, you know, since he, since he was a rookie and came into the league, he's been a guy that has really good fundamentals and footwork, but he's really done a better job of using his footwork and his body to sort of create space for that, you know, step back sort of jumper that he uses a lot of times and early on in his career at the three point line, but now he's doing that in the, in the 10 to 15 foot range. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I didn't pull the stats. I'm happy you did. Um, because you know, it makes me feel good that what I'm seeing is actually what's, what's going on. Um, and the moves, the moves are great that you're talking about. He does when, when the Mavs are home and they have, they don't have the best court in the league by any means, but they have, I think the best section of a home court. And that's the Dirk fadeaway shadow that they have on the, on the lower left kind of mid range. Yes. And I don't know if it's planned. I can't, I mean, I, I imagine it's not, I just think that's, that's a natural stopping point on the drive. He Luca ends up making that turnaround fade a la Dirk pretty often. And when I'm watching you know, growing up, watching Dirk as much as I can. I have an autograph picture in my room and, you know, any Mavs fan is an incredible, you know, incredibly big Dirk fan. And a lot of people who aren't Mavs fans are incredibly big Dirk fans. So then watching Luca, who's supposed to be kind of the second coming of, you know, our franchise star, take the same exact shot on the shadow is just no, no stats aside, whether it goes in aside, it doesn't matter. It's, it always makes me smile when he takes that shot that you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yes, count me in as one of the, uh, the non Mavs fans that was a huge fan of Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if Luca will have the same level of, uh, of love across the league. I think, I think he, he might be one of the more um, controversial players throughout his career, just the way he plays the game, you know? Yeah, and I, I think you know it's it's easy to say Dirk was beloved after his career is over, but during his career there were moments where he was considered not clutch, and people gave him a, a real hard time for his uh, you know playoff struggles. But uh, you know, yeah, I think now looking back, 
once his career is, uh, you know, has now concluded, I think, yeah, everyone just uh, sort of can now really appreciate what he was for, for so long for that, uh, that city and that organization. But uh, the other big development for Luca on the offensive end, and again, I, I already uh, mentioned the, the step back going to his left. Usually he likes that on the left wing. And uh, his three-point percentage is up significantly. And, and that was one of the things I think we've talked about in the past, that if he's going to take a leap, it's going to be by just becoming a better shooter overall. And, and that has happened. Unfortunately, it, it, it hasn't happened at the free throw line quite yet, but uh, from the mid range and from the three point line, it has. And, uh, you know, last year he was at 32%. To, so to have that up at around 36.3%, given the difficulty of attempts, that's a, that's a huge stepping stone for him to, you know, to be continuing to improve. And he was already at MVP level in year two, and, and he's made a, a, a mini leap, which is significant. Yeah. And that, that pretty much harkens back to what I was saying earlier. And I remember last year, I don't know if we had this exact conversation, but I was having it with a lot of my, my basketball nerd friends where they're saying that Luca's got to drive more and stop taking the step back. Stop taking so many threes. He's not making the threes. And over and over again, I'm there saying that's that's a short-term way of looking at it. He needs the practice. He needs the reps to figure out which ones I'm good at. You know, refine the footwork, refine the balance. And then eventually, hopefully, you know, it, it's a shocker that it's happening the next year. You you hope that it happens three, you know, three, four years down the line that they become more efficient at whatever it is they're working on. But it's been the next year. And he's already, I think he's now a 36% three-point shooter. That's not going to happen if he doesn't spend all last season working on it and taking what a lot of people view bad shots. And now they're good shots. You know, it's, it's, it's frustrating if you, if you don't look at it from a long-term point of view. And I understand that. But that's the way you have to look at it, especially if you have this you know, MVP type player you want them working on everything they can work on and you deal with the struggles um so i'm i'm happy about it i don't know what's going on at the line i have no idea i think i think that's probably conditioning i'm in no way the the person who would know if if that's gonna you know how big of a factor his conditioning is i don't know what he does for exercise off the court and i I don't feel the hits he takes when he drives and, you know, everything like that. So I don't know how tired he is at the line, but I I mean, I, I have no idea why he can't make a free throw at, you know, a 75, 80% clip. Well, yeah, I think, you know, early on in the season, I think he was closer to, to 80% and people thought, okay, he's, he's made the leap from the line as well, but yeah, now he's down to basically low seventies, kind of what he was last year. Um, so, so that'll be something hopefully that he can develop, but, you know, again, given his age and you talk about that 36% and it being a good shot now, especially when you combine it with all the other, uh, crazy efficient shots that he's, uh, he's taking, um, you know, if he continues and it's very possible, if he takes another leap with his shooting, uh, and, and gets closer to 40% from the three point line in a, in a couple of years. Yeah. You can, you can easily see the path and, and you can honestly see it now if uh, just with, with the other guys that are maybe a, a, a slight step ahead of him at the moment, kind of age out, 
that he'll kind of assume that mantle as the best player in the NBA, but also, yeah, just taking minor steps and, and, and you brought up that he's got the kind of the, the three levels scoring down. Now he can get to the rim. He's, he's, he's improved his mid range scoring and his three point percentage. Uh, You know, now it's just a matter of, in my mind, uh, on the offensive end, just getting a little bit better at everything. And that's, you know, a, a pretty reasonable ask from a, from a guy that's 22. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's a lot of it. And then I, I think the, the next phase, once he really starts honing in um, that three level scoring and knowing exactly what to do every time down the court, it's going to be figuring out, okay, is this a possession? Is this going to be a Luca possession or is this going to be a Mavericks possession on offense? So a lot of times now he's, I, I would say in the last couple of years, it's been more Dame Lillard like where he's definitely on the ball a lot, but the ball does move around. Uh, and now he's kind of shifted this year more towards what you would remember from, from Harden on the Rockets, where, you know, he's going to have the ball for, you know, 80% of every possession. And I think that's good because again, I think he needs to practice and it's, he's the most important player on the team. He needs all the reps he can get, give him the ball and then work on it. But once he gets that practice and attains those skills, now it's going to be a, a matter of when do I deploy them? Um, you know, I'm not going to isolate every time and, and try to break down my guy and go to a step back. If I can't get to the rim, it's, you know, quick touch passes kind of more, more along the lines of the way Lonzo moves the ball. Um, because if he, he, he can get to the rim or get a step back anytime he wants, it's just a matter of knowing when that's good, when to, when to feed Porzingis, when to let Jalen Brunson take the ball when to when to just rest when to take the off when to take the offensive possession you know maybe hang out in the corner just to spread the floor a little bit um it's it's going to be figuring out how to how to be as great as he is offensively but instead of being you know a one in a million basketball player trying to be one of five on the court at the time um so i think he'll that'll come next but that's for me more disappointing than or more frustrating than anything else is is the Harden-esque way that he's been playing this year. But I understand that hopefully, you know, it's it's all pretty much him downloading defenses and downloading situations and then giving him the opportunity next year, a couple of years down the line, of being a more team offensive player instead of a solo offensive player. I'm not sure if you've noticed anything like that. No, yeah, I um I, I think Part of that is, yeah, Luca still still trying to to learn the ropes as to you know playing off ball more and being comfortable giving it up and and trusting that he'll get it back. But I think also it's a little bit personnel based as well, given you know compared to last year where you know they they had Delon Wright who could handle the basketball last year. Trey Burke was better last season. You know Seth Curry I think was more comfortable on the ball. And I think the team in general, including Luca was more comfortable with him handling it than, than they have been with, with Josh Richardson, his replacement. Uh, so I think a, a bit of that is personnel. And I think hopefully Dallas will continue to upgrade the roster in future years so that Luca feels more confident and they have guys that are actually qualified to, uh, to take the ball out of Luca's hands at times. Yeah. That you brought up Seth Curry and that trade, I, 
I didn't. I I wanted to give the Mavs a chance after the trade, so I didn't immediately dislike it. But it's it's pretty clear that they they just miss him. There's a different. Luca generates so many open threes that just aren't capitalized on now, and he drives so much that when you when you can't leave Seth, that's an extra help defender that's now out of the way. You can you can leave Josh Richardson all day long. Maybe he'll make it. Maybe he won't. You're not really afraid of him shooting a three. So now Luca's got to play another guy. Got to face another guy in the drive, another help guy. KP's got another help guy. Um, and I just don't think that the defensive difference is significant enough for a team that isn't a good defensive team. If they had a good rim protector and you know their interior defense was good and it was just really finding somebody to guard the best guard on the opposing team and like and that that would elevate your defense from a from you know 25th to 10th then I would have understood it but that's not really the situation they were in so Josh Richardson Josh Richardson's presence on defense is a little wasted on me and the offensive um you know trade off is is pretty significant especially when you watch and I mean this last last stretch of seven games I did find a couple numbers because I figured you know this last stretch is what's fresh in most people's mind it's not like they're playing terribly or, or you know making bad decisions they're just executing poorly they've made 32 percent of their threes in the last seven games that they've gone two and five as opposed to their their opponents making 41 percent on top of that, they're taking 11 more threes a game. So they're taking 11 more threes, making one more, but that's 10 empty possessions that they're not scoring. And, you know, in any area of the game, whether it's transition, whether it's offensive rebounds, whether it's turnovers, whether it's missed threes, 10 empty possessions in any one of those categories makes it really, really tough to win. And I think you take... You take Seth Curry, you put him back on the team, that three-point percentage climbs up a little bit, takes a little pressure off Luka and, and you know maybe KP to be kind of the three-point shooters on the team. Um, so it's in the short term, it hasn't worked out yet. Um, I understand why they did it. You know, Rather be maybe middle of the pack offensively and defensively rather than incredibly often, incredible on offense and incredible on defense. But like you said at the start, they're 24th in defense though. So it just hasn't it hasn't worked out the way they expected. Yeah, um, you, you know I can understand the logic of the of the Curry Richardson swap. You know Richardson is several years younger, which I think was was one of the factors in the deal. Realizing okay, we can get a guy that's maybe a little bit more on the timeline of of Doncic and Porzingis than Curry was, who's in his thirties now. Um, but but yeah, the the idea that okay we can. We were literally the best offense in NBA history last year. We can take a little bit of a step back and then, you know, get our defense to a to a much better level. But the defense has gotten even worse. I think one of the things that's gone underrated about, you know, acquiring Richardson is that he isn't the same level defender and impact defender that he was just a couple of seasons ago. Um, he's maybe lost a, a little bit of athleticism. And, you know, I, I, I still think he's a good defender, but not quite the just elite guy that, uh, that he was a few years ago that sort of developed this reputation that he was a game changer on that end. Um, 
And, and yeah, you mentioned he's not hitting shots. He's at 32% this season from three. And you talk about Seth Curry having another fantastic season, one of the best percentage-wise three-point shooters of all time. That is a huge, huge drop-off. So let me ask you this, uh, Frankie, because, you know, I, I was I'm, – I'm looking at that starting lineup and I'm seeing a lot of the same things you are, that, oh, Luca obviously is this guy that creates a ton of open looks and Richardson not hitting him. They've got a guy that started a lot of last year in Tim Hardaway Jr., who is, you know, shooting 38% from three. And I wonder, should Tim Hardaway Jr. be starting instead of Richardson to really boost that offense, get that offense back up to another level? Uh, you know, what what are your thoughts on on that making that change? Yeah, I mean, I I understand it. And I think it would definitely boost those Luca minutes. I think the idea is while we're going to have Luca try to get as many shots up as he can from different areas of the floor, let's maybe reallocate our other scores to other parts of the game when Luca's not doing that. So a lot of times Tim Hardaway is playing with Jalen Brunson, and now it's the two of them who are both decent shot creators out on the floor. So if you know maybe Jalen doesn't have the best matchup, or maybe he's a little tired, Tim Hardaway can take over on that possession, and then vice versa. So. Again, it's it's this idea of trying to um, trying to balance everything, trying to balance the offense throughout the game. They made the trade to try to balance their offense with their defense. And I think you used the right word earlier. Um, I think they underrated the impact that you know the 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 drop off offensively that the trade would would make, and then they overrated the impact that the trade would make defensively, and they. It's another decision, especially with, you know, like you're saying with this rotation where Tim Hardaway is not playing as many minutes with Luca, where, okay, let's move around the offensive talent over across the 48 minutes of play and let's be decent for 48 minutes as opposed to let's excel and let's, you know, let's punch the defense in the mouth for, for seven minutes at the start of the game. Let's just totally rock our opponent. And I'm not sure if that's the best idea. Um, but what they're doing right now where they're just kind of, you know, light jabs throughout the game, they're not winning as many games as I would hope. So I understand it. It makes sense on paper, but I think maybe sometimes you just want to put all of your guns out at once and just, you know, let it rain and see what happens. Right. Like my, my, my thought would be there, the, the Mavs expectations with making that trade is, yeah, maybe we go from first to fifth on offense and we go from you know 18th up to 14th or some or 13th you know just outside the top 10 defensively and that gets you into that category of of being you know a, a legit title contender at that point when you're close to top 10 on both ends of the floor but yeah it just hasn't panned out that way I will say though I, I was looking this up and in part because I was I was wondering how you know some of these lineups were working but that starting unit of Doncic, Josh Richardson, Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleba, and uh, and Kristaps Porzingis, they do have a, a positive eleven point two net rating. So, d- despite you know what we've talked about, that the struggles of Richardson spotting up and and you know the defense not being as good, that unit in itself has been effective. But the the big difference between this year's team and last year's team is those non-Luca minutes. The, the bench just has not been as effective. Last year, the, the bench or the team had a positive 3.7 net rating when Luca was not on the floor. 
this year, the net rating when Luca sits is minus 1.9. So, you know, a team that was a net positive when their star set sat last year is now a net negative. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder what the lineup differences are between last year and this year, or if it's really just, um, you know, really just execution. Does it, do you happen to see that starting five that's plus 11, how many minutes they've gotten to play together? Because we've just had a lot of difficulty. Uh, you know, I mean, KP can't play back to back. So he's always got a nagging injury. And the Mavs have dealt with a lot of COVID and stuff like that. So I'd be interested to, to know how often that group actually gets to be on the floor. Um, it does look good. I mean, Maxi Kleber, who I've loved for what is whatever, four years now is shooting like i think above 40 percent. i think he's like 42 percent from three he's a solid defensive player he's very low maintenance in terms of needing the ball and needing touches needing anything like that so he's great to have out there with guys like with, with aluka um dorian finney smith has been incredible another low maintenance guy where he doesn't need the ball um incredible offensive rebounder crashes the glass all the time and he's making his threes this year, which if he can do, you know, it, it kind of fits the role of kind of, I think there was one year, maybe, maybe two, where Al Farouk Aminu shot like 38% from three. I, I could be completely wrong. At least that's what it felt like. And he was defensive, you know, a defensive player. He could guard big and guard small. He was quick. He could rebound, um, you know, not not Kawhi Leonard, but a big enough body to put on the other team's, you know, best forward scorer. And Dorian Finney-Smith is, you know, kind of playing a very similar role. And so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised that that group is plus 11. I'm just, I'd be curious to know how often they've, they've gotten to play together. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's 586 possessions. Okay. And how, what, how many possessions in a game? Do we know? I mean, typically, I guess this is this is more me going off the cuff, but I would say you know there's um, in in today's NBA, I would say there's around 120. So it's like uh, uh, we're um, we're talking so about so not great. <laughs> yeah, not not a ton of uh, not, not, not a big sample, especially for your 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 lineup that you would say would be your your go to starting five. <laughs> well. Well, then let's, that, that kind of leads me to something I was thinking about asking you. And it's a, a question that my friends and I were having on, on Sunday. And if you want some time to think about it, I'll, I'll ramble on. But who would the Mavs rather have, if you're the Mavs, for the next three years? Chris Tapps Porzingis or Julius Randle? And if you want to think about it for a little bit, you just tune me out and I'll, <laughs> and I'll, I'll give a, a couple two cents. I mean, I, to, to be honest, I, I don't think that's that hard of a question given, uh, and, and we'll get to Porzingis and, and what he's done this year, but I would take Julius Randle. So you think that you would be fine um, switching to that more secondary creator role? As in Julius because Randle in, would be? Yeah, that, that's kind of the big, the big question that we had is – how effective is he if he's not the engine? Because Luca's going to be the engine regardless who you put on this team. 
Well, right. I uh, think if if you've got uh, if you've got Randall, you do more staggering than you with with Luca than you would with Porzingis. Uh, gotcha. Okay. And yeah, I mean, but, but no, I think um, Randall is uh, you know his, his improvement from as a as a shooter would allow him to you know to to spot up and and play a little bit as a, a floor spacer. I think he'd be a great cutter and and you know, a guy that, uh, that can, that can take advantage. If you run pick and roll and they switch, he can take advantage on the block then. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would like, uh, I just think Randall is the better player right now than Porzingis, frankly. That's fair. That's fair. We weren't, we were trying to figure out how sustainable is his game. Um, you know, especially from a shooting perspective and then trying to think of, um, trying to weigh the percentage that we can get the best of KP because I think the the floor the, the ceiling of KP is probably a little bit better for this team than the ceiling of Julius Randle. I mean there were games last year where like like the Bucks game in the bubble where he just he just takes over and he spread he he stretches the floor more than you know anybody else that the Mavs have definitely more than Julius Randle and if he can get himself together defensively then it's a completely different ball game. But from a consistency perspective, from a from an you know an assertiveness where you you feel that they're on the court, and I think just from an overall skill and ability to you know play different roles, whether it's a facilitator, a rebounder, or a scorer. Um, yeah, I would say I would I think Julius Randle is better as of now. But it was a it was a discussion that we decided to have. Maybe maybe beer fueled and less you know less difficult than we thought it was, but, uh, we found a way to have the conversation for about 25 minutes. Yeah. I mean, Porzingis is having a, uh, you know, a, a pretty darn good offensive season, but to me, the, the, the big difference, and I think he's a big part of why the, you know, the Mavs defense has fallen off this season is he has not been nearly as impactful, uh, as a, as a rim protector. And, you know, we already know his limitations just being 7-3, guarding out on the perimeter and moving his feet. He's not the, the most mobile of big men. Uh, so a lot of his defensive impact comes at the rim. And one stat that I think is very notable to his drop-off is, you know, just opponents' attempts at the rim when he's on versus off the floor. Opponents are actually taking 1.6 more shots at the basket when he's out there, which is the 26th percentile. And compare that to last season, Frankie. Opponents took 3.9 less shot attempts at the basket when he was on the court, which was in the 93rd percentile. So we've seen a huge drop-off just in terms of sort of his rim intimidation being in the area and preventing guys from even wanting to take the shot. Yeah, I think we talked about this over – the summer at some point where the the training staff last year tried to beef him up to do two things. One, make him a bigger threat, you know, a bigger deterrent down, down by the rim defensively, but also to make him a little slower because he's got all these knee inju- knee injuries because he's, he's kind of moving around too much and you almost want to make him more stationary. You know, you want him to be, you know, agile to an extent, but not so agile that now he's, athletic enough to hurt himself. Right. And they did that. And I thought he was great before the bubble. 
And then he shows up in the bubble and he's given, you know, he's having these press conferences, these interviews, whatever, where he's talking about how he, he didn't like the way his body felt, which I mean, I can't knock him for that. Um, and he lost the, he lost the weight so he can become a little quicker. And then he's less of a deterrent now. And he, you know, obviously he hurt his knee in the, in the bubble. Maybe he does regardless. Maybe he doesn't, I don't know, but I really did like that Porzingis last year who was bigger a little bit stronger at the sacrifice of being a little bit slower um, and, you know, could assert himself on the defensive end more. So it's a shame. I wonder who, who else in the, in recent memory had so much kind of potential and expectation. I mean, he's, we call him the unicorn, but three years ago when we were calling him the unicorn, we were calling him the unicorn because we were fascinated. And we were like, sky is the limit for this guy. So I think obviously now the, the tone on him has, has dampened quite a bunch. I mean, I don't know how many teams in the league would even want to pay him on his current contract, not to mention trade for, you know, trade assets for him. So who, who else in recent memory has had, you know, so much potential and almost, you know, and started acting on that potential before a near immediate I don't want to say collapse, but an immediate regressing down to, you know, what is it, you know, an average to above average, you know, career or it's looking like who else has fallen in that category? Yeah. Um, it's, I, I think, you know, you know, just in terms of that excitement, right. There's just a, a, a you know, it's a matter of the unknown, you know, when, when a guy, yeah. when a guy is 22 and he's shown what he, what he can do, you think, oh yeah, the sky is the limit. But you know, he's he's uh, you know close to twenty six at this point. He's shown in his five year career that he has not been able to play, you know, even seventy percent of his team's games in any season. Um, and and yeah, we've seen at various times as well that okay, you know, yeah, maybe for a 15, 20 game stretch, he'll be healthy and looking good. But then, yeah. you know, you're always going to have these moments where not only is he sitting out a number of games, but then also when he comes back, he's not just always going to be the same player. So, yeah, it's been it's been disappointing. And and I agree with what you said earlier when we were comparing him and Randall, you know, the, the ceiling of Porzingis for this team next to Luca obviously is higher, you know, given his. You know, I said Randall could be a floor spacer, but you know his his three point shooting is on limited volume. Porzingis can really jack it up, and he's got a great range. You know, he's a great offensive fit with with Doncic, and defensively, yeah, like uh, I completely agree with you. When when he was a little bit bigger, and they were, you know, frankly, I kind of like him in the defensive role of what like Brook Lopez does in Milwaukee, where yeah, you're just a huge dude that takes away the paint from the opposition. And, uh, with, you know, when he was doing that at times last year, the Mavs got too close to an average defense and you combine that with a Luca led offense and you're going to be an elite team. But, uh, yeah, when he's not, uh, you know, when he's not quite in position, he's not quite moving as well. And, uh, you know, he doesn't have that size and that intimidation. You've seen what happens. The Mavs have gone to being, you know, in the bottom third in the league defensively. And that also, I think, has a negative impact on, on the offensive end. Yeah, no, I, I, I legitimately agree with everything you just said. And 
I was thinking about other guys who have kind of had a similar fall from grace. And one, I think we might be looking at, I think we may have already seen the Tyler hero peak. That's not out of the question. And then another guy that, that popped up in my head is Carl Anthony towns. And I don't think that's a, that's really a knock on him as much as it is the Timberwolves. Cause I mean, remember what was it? Two, three years ago, they have Wiggins who's still young and people still think has a chance towns who's coming off rookie of the year and being awesome, like dominating 25 and 12 efficient 25 and 12. And then they just got Jimmy Butler. And they were, I mean, they were, they were playing great. Then, you know, the postseason they had, you know, whatever injuries. And I don't even know if they ended up making it and sneaking in on that, whatever that year. But then Jimmy's gone. Wiggins is not great. And now it's just Towns and a, a team like the Timberwolves who are burgeoning and, you know, about to be, you know, maybe the top half of the Western Conference. Now they're, they're in the dregs. Like they are the dregs of the Western Conference for the last two years. So he's kind of had that fall from grace, but I would say that's more of an organizational collapse than, than a personal one. Yeah. The, the, the cat thing is, is fascinating because yeah, you, you brought up the year they had Jimmy Butler and they did, they did just barely make the playoffs. They had that uh, final regular season game against Denver, which was essentially a play-in game and they ended up winning it. uh, Right. Right. Or I think losing to Houston in the first round, but uh at the time, everyone was wondering, you know, oh, Tom Thibodeau, obviously a great assi- defensive assistant coach with those uh, Celtics teams with, with Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen, then went to Chicago and developed a defensive powerhouse there. And then, you know, he goes to Minnesota and you're wondering, okay, what's, what's the problem? Why isn't he getting defense out of this group? And we've seen Jimmy Butler go to other teams and continue to to provide defense. We've even seen Andrew Wiggins be successful on a Warriors defense this yeah. year. Who's the player that uh, you know is is left over? And we're wondering, okay, why didn't that team ever get to be good defensively? It's Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, it was always you know which which team's young talent would you most rather have? And it was like the Timberwolves, maybe the Sixers were in there. I think, I mean, even, even the wizards may have counted, even though they were a bit older with that, like probably, I mean, what will end up being prime John wall and a young Bradley Beal who had all the potential, you know, it's, I, I think I remember having a conversation with my friends and we would, we took the Timberwolves. We were like, that's the young core that we would want going forward. And wow. I mean, the, the fall from grace happened so quick yeah and and cat and porzingis are are both guys that i think offensively there's not really too many question marks about them they're they're excellent and uh cat you know i would say is a top 10 offensive player in the entire league but yeah the defensive issues have continued to be a concern and uh at least with porzingis i think for you know when when he was right in previous years he looked like a defensive force but, uh, you know, this year I've seen very little evidence to suggest that he's a, a positive defensive player. Uh, yeah, no. He, he may have missed the bar on that one. Yeah. But I've, I've taken you too far away from Dallas. My apologies. No, no worries. That was – uh, I. Uh, you know me, I enjoy a good tangent every now and again. But, 
let's get into some of the yeah some of these role players on on the Mavs and you know you you brought up a few guys that I wanted to talk about first Dorian Finney-Smith he's he's a guy that's gonna he's gonna he's gonna play decent defense he's not a shutdown guy but he's you know not a guy that's just gonna get absolutely embarrassed on the defensive end offensively he's gonna be you know he's He's continued to be a great offensive rebounder. He's in the 88th percentile at his position in offensive rebound rate. And the the big development for him on, on the offensive side is, you know, last year he shot 38% overall from three, but that was in large part due to being sort of a corner specialist and shooting well just from the corners. This year, he's he's not as reliant on, uh, on the corners. He's actually shooting 40% on above-the-break attempts. And that's that's a big step in his development. And, you know, it allows him to be one of the the guys that is above the break. And you can then put a weaker shooter, say, like Josh Richardson, then in the corner. Yeah, I mean, you, you love to see. I think I'm looking, he's, he's what, 38% this year on five attempts? Yep. I mean, given the defensive value and the the hustle value that, that he brings to the team, he's a good offensive rebounder, too. Uh, he, he doesn't try to make any plays, so I can't imagine he's turning the ball over much. Um, I don't, I don't know any team that wouldn't find a role for a guy like him. I mean, I think he's he's low maintenance, and he he does exactly what you need him to do. Yeah, and then you you also brought up a guy in in Maxi Kleba, who I know we're both big fans of, uh, and 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 this year Kleba shooting forty two percent from three. And what's interesting about that, you know, and, and one of the things that I really value about Kleba is his versatility on both the offensive and defensive end. You know, defensively, he can switch, he can move his feet, he can protect the rim a little bit. Um, and then on the offensive end, last year, we saw it. We saw him sometimes spotting up and knocking down shots, other times being the role man, and he's a good lob threat as well. Uh, but this year, Perhaps because he's shot so well from three, they've pretty much exclusively made him a spot-up guy. You know, compared to last year, he he attempted 148 shots at the rim in the 1920 season. And so far this year, he's he's only attempted 26 attempts at the basket. So they're they're not using him as that role man as much, which I think is unfortunate because, you know. I think it's important and and part of the value of having an offensively versatile big is to keep the defense off balance and and show them different looks. Yeah. And I think last year I I could be wrong, but I think a lot of times that he was the role man, it was playing alongside KP. So if you're going to have one of those guys step out and be the shooter, you're going to have it be KP. Whereas this year, I think he's been on the floor a lot more with Willie Cauley Stein. Yeah. Is the most frustrating Mavericks player I've watched in a while. <laughs> so it just makes more sense that Willie Colley Stein's going to be the role man and Kleber is going to be the guy who's popping out. The only issue is I know you're doing that because Colley Stein can't shoot threes, but he is, I mean, I don't know the numbers, but he has to be one of the worst finishers at the rim in the league. He, he can't make anything. You foul him. There's if you foul him, there's no chance that he's going to get the end one. But more often than not, he's just going to miss. You know, if it's not an alley oop dunk, if he's got an alley oop lay in, or if he's got you know catching the ball one dribble or catching the ball two steps, go up and and lay it in. He's missing those more than any big man. He's he's what seven feet, seven foot one. Like he's 
he can't make those shots. It doesn't make any sense. He's so frustrating. So I think it's more a personnel um, reason that that Kleber might be taking more threes, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they're like, hey, you're making them at a 40, 42% clip. Just just hang out there. That's some, that's more points. Yeah, and that, that's a good point that, you know, KP missing so much time has has negatively impacted it. And, and that's, I think, another part of the reason why maybe the offense hasn't been quite as good because, yeah, when you have KP and Kleba out there on the floor, right, you can sort of uh, mix and match those two guys and and keep the defense on its toes by, okay, you know, KP's setting a screen. He could roll or he could pop, and same with Kleba. Um, so so that makes, you know, the offense a little bit a little bit more predictable. But, yeah, Kleba, I think, is still having a, an excellent season. Um, another guy that uh, we, we have to talk about is Jalen Brunson, who is having a fantastic season. Uh, you know, how tall would you say Brunson is? Uh, is he like 5'10"? Uh, what do we think he's listed as, or what do we think he actually is? What do, What do you think he actually is? I'm gonna give him. I'm gonna give him five eleven. Okay. Well, that five eleven player is shooting sixty point one percent on twos this season. That's crazy. Seventy four percent at the rim, fifty three percent from short mid range. Uh, he's also ninetieth percentile at his position in defensive rebounding percentage. I mean, this guy yeah. is uh, is defying all of the rules for a, a guy that's sub six feet. He's a mini Kyle Lowry. <laughs> yes. And he, like Lowry, uses his body extremely well. He's also just very crafty uh, around the rim. You know, he'll, he'll uh, surprise guys looking like he's going to go up on one side and just take an extra little quick dribble to, to get to the other side of the rim. Or you know he he'll he'll use his body bump off the guy do a jump stop and um, you know can can do a shot fake to draw fouls but uh, yeah he has been he has been he has been excellent and at times for this team you know has been uh, you know despite not starting too much he's been uh, he's been closing he's been in the closing five yeah I mean he's he's been great he's one of the guys who you put the ball in his hands and you, you just kind of you trust that he's going to execute or you know, his process, whenever, whatever he does, the process is going to be sound. He's going to make a good decision, whether or not it goes in, whether or not, you know, he kicks the ball to the corner and the, and the corner man can make the three. If it's, if it's Josh Richardson, probably not. Uh, he makes the right play pretty much every time. And exactly like you said, he'll, he'll wrong foot layups. He'll, um, he'll sometimes take layups off his, his first step instead of the second step. He's got a really good mid-range where he'll he'll pull up, not at like the Chris Paul free throw line, but either a half step before that or a half step after. So what the defense is used to guarding is not necessarily what he's going to do. So one, he's got the benefit of being lefty, which anybody who plays can tell you, it's not that they're lefty that makes it so difficult. It's that everybody else, for the most part, is righty. So when I'm playing defense, I'm playing against righties and I'm moving my hips and I'm, you know, using, you know, my left arms low or my right arms low, my left arms high to guard a righty. And now every 10% of possessions, now I have to guard a lefty. I just don't have as much experience. So it's already more difficult to guard a lefty because it's just more foreign to a defensive player. Meanwhile, Jalen Brunson and every other lefty 
everything they've done on offense their whole life has been lefty. It's not like they're just lefty for this possession. The defensive player has to guard a lefty just for this possession. So he's got that one advantage going for him. And on top of it, like you've been saying, he makes unorthodox moves. So the moves that he finds to be natural and normal and you know within his arsenal is very different than the, the same drive that maybe Tim Hardaway would make or maybe a Trey Burke would make. So I'm used to guarding those righties doing these 10 things. So when I'm trying to process a defensive possession, I'm expecting, you know, as, as, as I shuffle my feet down the lane, the percentage that he's going to go for a layup is increasing. The percentage that he's going for a floater is increasing. And the percentage that he's taking a jump shot is going to go down. So you're, you're processing all those throughout the defensive possession as you're guarding him. But he does everything so different that it, it messes with those numbers. So when you're trying to gauge and, you know, in that split second that he's driving, it makes it a little bit more difficult to play defense on him. And he takes advantage of it. It takes, you know, it takes a lot of skill. And it takes um, a lot of intelligence and basketball IQ to be able to play like that. And, I mean, a four-year player out of Villanova, he, he played in a great system there and under a great coach. And Rick Carlisle is one of the best NBA coaches, especially for bench ball handlers. So he's been in an incredible situation to expand on skills that I think he's been working on his whole life. So it's I mean, it's, it's really great to watch somebody who you just trust out there. Yeah. Brunson, you know, a former second round pick quickly becoming one of the best backup point guards in the NBA. And yeah, if I'm a, if I'm a guy, if I'm a small diminutive point guard that uh, is coming into the draft, maybe a second round pick, I'm, I'm basically saying, you know, um, I will not be drafted by any team other than the Dallas Mavericks. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And it's not like this is an anomaly. He shot, I mean, I'm looking at his last two years at Villanova, who actually was not a four-year player. He was a three-year player. That's on, that's my fault. He shot essentially 53% from the field and about 48 49% from three the last two years. So his efficiency is not a, a newfound benefit to playing. He, he's, he's always been an efficient player, and that's just, you know, a lot of efficiency comes from from decision-making Nick Young was incredibly talented, but incredibly inefficient because he took terrible shots. Yeah. Um, and Brunson, yeah, up to 39.4% from three this year. So yeah, you know, similar to Luca, he's, uh, he's developed that uh, three level scoring as well this season. I think they're going to have slightly different second contracts though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But no, the way Brunson's playing, he's gonna he's definitely gonna get some money, that's for sure. He'll get some money. I wonder who's gonna who's gonna sign him to the restricted offer that the Mavs will then match is is the question. Yeah. Um, so you know, again, let's let's get back a little bit to the, you know, the the team defense and and obviously, as we said, they're 24th this season, so they've been struggling. And and one of the things, you know, the team just lacking that defensive ace, and I know they they were hoping that Richardson would be that, has been a big issue. And you've seen it because, you know, even in just the last week or week and a half, they've had Julius Randle put up 40-plus against them. They've had Joel Embiid go off. De'Aaron Fox went off. Uh, DeMar DeRozan went off. You know, earlier in the year, Steph went for 57 against them. So not only are they so far with their defensive personnel, they've been unable to stop 
you know, star scores on the other team, but they've allowed any variety of different types of star scores to go off against them. And, and that's frankly just an issue. You know, you would hope that your personnel allows you to slow down a particular type of player, but so far, no, no matter if you're a, a drive and slasher like Fox or a three point shooter in Curry or a mid range maestro in DeRozan or a post up threat in Embiid, everybody is is going off against the Mavs. Yep, it's uh, it's been fun to watch for <laughs> sure. I mean, uh, I guess I guess the slight silver lining is it is good to see individual performances. Those are exciting, although not so much when they're happening against your team. Yeah, I. I, I don't know why, to be honest. I, I really don't know why. I'm not sure if it's just, um, you know, just kind of bad luck or not. But, I mean, I don't think this was happening last year. So something's happening this year. I, th- I don't think teams are necessarily afraid of any of the Mavericks defenders. I mean, as good as Josh Richardson was, like you're saying, he's kind of gone downhill and not incredibly. He's still an above average wing defender and guard defender, but he's not. You know, he's not the top. He's not going to make a defensive, you know, an all defense in, uh, an all defense team anymore. KP down at the rim, not going to make an all defense team. Kleber is fine. Um, he was actually one of our better defenders on guys like Zion last year because he's thick and he's staunchy and, you know, he doesn't bring his arms down when he tries to block. He just goes straight up. He's a smart defender. Not sure that would work this year against this new Zion. Um, so yeah, I mean, you look at the defense, the, the Mavs roster, who are you really afraid of? If you're anybody, if you're a Jason Tatum wing guy, if you're a Damian Lillard guard scorer, or if you're, you know, a Joel Embiid, you know, big man bruiser down low, who, which one of those guys is going to be scared of what the Mavs have defensively? I guess maybe Jason Tatum, just because Dorian Finney Smith is probably our best individual defender and even then you know Tatum LeBron Durant Kawhi guys that Dorian Finney Smith are guarding don't seem to ever really care who's guarding them so it's I think teams look forward you know individual players look forward to to playing against the Mavs because they know it's going to be pretty lightweight from a defensive standpoint yeah and you know for for a long time I think teams have prioritized, okay, let's not have a, a huge weak link on the defensive end. And and I really don't think, I mean, outside of maybe Porzingis this season, I, I think they're, they've got at least close to average defenders across every position. And that includes Luca, who I think has taken a, a mini leap defensively this year as well. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think in today's day and age in the NBA with offenses really soaring, I think we've gotten to the point where just having five average to maybe even slightly above average defenders might not be good enough. You might need one or two just really elite guys to to get stuff done consistently in the uh, in the current league. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And Rick Carlisle isn't. I mean, he's a great coach. He's definitely more of an offensive minded coach. And on top of that. It's, it's not necessarily a defensive personnel. So it's, you know, it's hard to have him bake a cake when you're not giving him flour and sugar and, and eggs and everything that goes in a cake. Um, so it's tough, but it's a young team. You know, it's, I don't think anybody's expecting 
the Mavs to win the finals. I don't think anybody was expecting the Mavs to win the finals. I, I think what we hope for is to, you know, make the playoffs. I, I think the idea was to make the playoffs comfortably, which we haven't, you know, haven't shown that we could do. Um, and then have another good series, maybe, maybe sneak out a first round win, who knows, but at the very least be competitive and be a team that, you know, if they get matched up with the Lakers or the Clippers or, you know, the Nuggets in the first, first round, whoever it is, um, you know, this is, you know, looking at the beginning of the season, now it would be the Suns and the Jazz and whatnot. Um, whoever we get matched up with, not, you know, having that, those fans and that team that we get matched up with not be super excited. Be a team that, that nobody really wants to play in the playoffs because Luka can dominate, KP can dominate, the bench plays really well. We have, you know, either a coaching advantage or stalemate, whatever it is. And I don't think that we're at the level where we're a team that other teams don't want to play. And that's that's probably the most unfortunate part of this season. Yeah. And uh, speaking of, of Carlisle, you know, he's he's been known for throwing out. I think he's been one of the, the coaches that have have used zone defense more than just about anyone else. And, you know, last year and in previous years, it felt more like, okay, we're not we're not throwing out the zone because our man-to-man is just like getting killed. We're throwing out the zone just as a way to, to mix it up and keep the, the opposition off balance. But this year it feels like at times it's like, oh no, they're just scoring on us every possession in our man-to-man. So we just are forced into trying anything else. Yep. That is, that is a big distinguishing factor between, between this year and last year's team. That's, that's a, that's a good catch. That's that's exactly what's going on on the defensive end when when we switch back and forth. What have uh, what have been your thoughts? It's been a very uh, small sample so far, but obviously they traded for the likes of uh, Nikola Melli and and more importantly JJ Redick at the deadline. And Redick, of course, you know, coming off a, a month long absence with I believe it was like an ankles ankle Achilles soreness uh, issue. Um, but, uh, he's been back for this last, uh, last week or so stretch. What have, what has been your thoughts of his play and, and his overall fit with this team? Yeah. Melly hasn't gotten as many minutes, so it's, it's harder to say for him and especially being somebody who, you know, was coming off the bench in new Orleans and well, isn't and he, the oldest he player. Basically, he's basically only playing, uh, or in the rotation when, when Porzingis is out, it seems. Right, exactly. So one, there's not much to base off in his Mavs career. And two, I don't, I mean, I've seen him play. I don't hate his game, but I haven't seen him enough to like say where I think he'll fit in. JJ, on the other hand, is a different story. Obviously he's, you know, been in the league for, for years. And he's, he's a guy that a lot of people know since he's been playing. I, I've been pretty disappointed. Um, not necessarily in the numbers he's putting up, but in just watching the game, a lot of times three years ago, if he would come off a screen and he'd have a foot, foot of space and he catch the ball, the three point line, he just fired up. And now he's pump faking, taking one inside dribble back the way he came and then trying to get to the hoop a little bit or pull it for a mid range or, you know, figure it out from there. A lot of times when he does that, I'm just like, shoot, shoot the ball. You're, one of the greatest three-point shooters in NBA history. You shoot the ball. Like if you miss, you miss. That's fine. But we just spent seven seconds trying to get you open. If you don't shoot the ball, 
either you're going to get a bad shot off the dribble or create a decent to probably bad shot for somebody else because you're not drawing a lot of help. And now that probably took another three seconds. So shot clock's running down for whoever you end up passing the ball to. If it's not Luca, we're in a bad spot. The best shot is on that possession is now you shooting the ball immediately coming off that screen or that pin down or whatever it is. And he's just not doing it yet. I'm not sure if it's, he's not comfortable. I know he didn't play a lot in New Orleans. He, you know, trying to work out a buyout and, and, you know, was expected to get traded, things like that. So his role was diminished there. He hasn't played a ton this year. Um, so maybe he's just getting his feet wet and trying to get back into the swing of things. But, you know, going forward, I'd like him to just shoot the ball, let it fly, miss. I, I really don't care if he misses. I, it, to me, it's all about process over execution. Um, I think that's what, you know, that's how you win in the long run. And so, yeah, I, for JJ, just, just let it fly, which he's not been doing. Yeah, the, um, you wonder how much, you know, for a guy that's a veteran like him, you wouldn't expect this to happen, but he did go, he, he was on a pretty significant slump at the beginning of the year with the Pelicans, and you wonder how much that got sort of into his head. Uh, but, you know, he's been shooting better as of late. But, you know, my big concern, and, and obviously we, we've already talked plenty about the Mavs' struggles defensively, but in the little that I've seen from him, he's really been attacked on the defensive end. And, you know, he's never been a, a plus defender. He's, he's only 6'4". He's, I think his wingspan is actually shorter than his height, which is, uh, you know, just an unfortunate break for J.J. But uh, he, uh, he got hunted by R.J. Barrett in that Knicks game pretty relentlessly. And uh, he came in, and I mentioned that second quarter against Sacramento in their most recent loss, where they gave up 45 in the second quarter. And, and a large part of that start of the second quarter was them just hunting J.J. Redick. And, and that really got them going and feeling good about themselves. So uh, you, you do wonder at his advanced age if, uh, you know, while he, he does execute the scheme defensively and he, he, he has good, a good motor, he tries hard. You do wonder if that, you know, the, the, the small losses of athleticism over the last couple of years have rendered him just a, a huge negative defensively. Yeah. And I mean, he's definitely not going to get better defensively. I wouldn't think, but you, you hope that in, you know, when he's playing at the end of the first quarter or, you know, a couple spot minutes here and there that it's so brief and in the middle of the game that teams aren't necessarily going to hunt that, that one-on-one -on -one matchup like they would in the postseason or, you know, the last five minutes of the fourth quarter. But yeah, watching that Knicks game, I mean, that's kind of the way Thibodeau plays. He plays 24-7 like it's the playoffs. You know, guys playing 38 minutes, 40 minutes, and not giving young guys a lot of run and things like that. So hunting mismatches every play possible is is very much in the Thibodeau vein. So I watched it. It wasn't great. Um, it was nice to see RJ play well. I'll, I'll say that being, you know, being in New York by all accounts, just seems like a good dude and really likes basketball. So those people I tend to like watching succeed. Um, but yeah, not maybe not at the expense of, of my team. <laughs> right. Yeah, RJ's made some some big strides this year. I've been impressed. But uh, okay, just, just a couple more questions for you, Frankie, before we wrap up here. So we, we mentioned Dallas currently in the, uh, the seventh spot, which would put them in the play-in. So out of the, the possible play-in matchups, which right now 
the Grizzlies are in the eighth spot, so that would be the, the, the seven would play the eight initially. The Warriors are in the ninth and the spur the ninth spot, and the Spurs are tenth. Which one of those teams do you feel like the Mavs match up well against? Which one of those teams would you say you're you're overly concerned about if they were to match up in in the plan? Yeah. Um, I think I would actually most like to play the Warriors. Um, They have far and away the best player, but I think they also have the fewest answers and the fewest and and the littlest um, amount of versatility. And when you're playing the same team over and over again, versatility ends up being super important. So, I mean, Steph's going to get his, and we've shown that we're not going to be able to stop him. But I think the Mavs offense would also be able to play pretty well against the Warriors. Um, the Grizzlies, I just don't think we're going to have the opportunity to play. Um, but I would, that would be a fun series because Ja played pretty well in the bubble last year. And in, that, in their, uh, their playing game, he played really well. So watching you know, two young stars, Ja and Luca, go at it would be really interesting. And then the most boring one is far and away you know, a, an uh, 11 seed Spurs team or a 10 seed Spurs team, whatever it ends up being um, with, with no true superstar on the team. Um, just going to execute you to death for 48 minutes. And I mean, it's not going to be fun. I, I don't want to have to go against pop in the playoffs. So give me the warriors because I think we actually have the best chance against them, which might sound crazy to a lot of folks, especially coming off this Steph streak. Give me the Grizzlies second just for entertainment purposes. Um, and then just, I think the most boring series would be a Mavs, a Mavs Spurs, even if it's two games or three games. But uh, that's that's the way I would lay it out. What, what would you like the most? If you're a Mavs fan and all you care about is advancing, what are you going for? Yeah, um, I would probably say that the team that I would feel most confident in, in beating would be the Spurs. The, uh, the Warriors scare me, especially if it's just a one-game scenario because of Steph, because of Draymond. You know, there's the fear that Draymond, um, you know, really prepping hard for you and playing at 100% defensively can, can really shut things down to a certain extent. Um, just those two guys alone would, would, uh, uh, would, would scare me quite a bit. And, and Memphis, you know, they've, they've been able to maintain a pretty decent defense. And at some point, I assume they're getting Jaron Jackson Jr. back. I heard that he was supposed to come back in the month of April, but uh, he hasn't come back yet. Yeah, I think they meant April 2027. <laughs> yeah. The way they've been treating this. But, uh, you know, if he's back, all of a sudden, I think this Memphis Grizzlies team takes on a completely new look because, you know, he really does open up things for John Morant with his floor spacing. So, yeah. I'd be a little bit worried about dealing with the Grizzlies as well. So yeah, I, I, if I had to pick, if I'm Dallas, I would want to face the, uh, the San Antonio Spurs, but it'll be, uh, it'll be fascinating to see my final question for you, Frankie. And we've seen, we've seen Luca just hit some ridiculous shots as of late. Of course he hit that, uh, you know, just leaning shot uh, against the Grizzlies at the buzzer to win it. He, uh, I don't know if you saw this one, but, Prior to a game recently, they, there was a video that was on Twitter where he was close to like the tunnel and he started doing these soccer moves where he's like kneeing the ball and hitting it off his shoulder. He catches it, turns around 
and shoots it from the absolute most impossible angle and somehow makes it. So yeah, he's like 20, like 15, 20 feet behind the backboard. Right. But like all yes. the way diagonal. Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, so my question to you is, is, you know, if the NBA instituted a horse competition, is Luca the favorite? <laughs> uh, I don't know if Luca's the favorite. Well, it depends. Do you have to do, you know, what, what pre-shot shenanigans are allowed? Because if, if the soccer moves are allowed, then he just probably does that and then makes a layup. And then, you know, even Steph is not, if he doesn't know how to do those soccer moves, he's out. But if it's just the shot, I think you got to take Steph because uh, I don't know if you've noticed the last, whatever, 12 years of NBA basketball, but that dude doesn't miss. <laughs> yeah, um, that, that's a fair point. Although, yeah, that that shot 15, 20 feet behind the basket, I, I honestly felt like that was an impossible shot to make. And somehow Luke put that in. Yeah. But, uh, also, the NBA already tried horse. And it was one of the most unwatchable events of all time. So well, yeah, I, don't know. Like they, I don't know if we need them to try that again. They they attempted it like where everyone was shooting at their own house, right? And it was terrible yeah. video quality yeah. and everything. I, I think if they actually, you know, came up with a, a good idea for horse and had it where all the people were in the same location, I think it could be interesting. But I think they did that maybe like eight, ten years ago. And for some reason I remember I want to say Kevin Durant and Paul Pierce or Kevin Durant and Paul George. It was like an all-star weekend horse competition. Um, and it was like, it was outside. Do you remember that at all? I have no recollection of this though. <laughs> Let me see. Uh, this is great podcasting. Um, yeah. <laughs> who did this? Geico? They spelled, they spelled Geico. It was 2009 NBA All-Star Weekend in Phoenix. Kevin Durant won both of the only two modern horse. So I guess they did it two years. Uh, no dunking. Players had 24 seconds each to create and mimic shots. An NBA referee authenticated the new shots. And I'm reading strictly off Wikipedia. Um, so Kevin Durant won. Uh, he only got an HOR. He beat... Omri Caspi and Rajon Rondo in 2009-2010. I'm sure that was a shootout. The year before, 2008-2009, Kevin Durant, who got HORS, beat Joe Johnson and OJ Mayo. And then in 1977-1978, I'm sure you already know this, Paul Westfall beat Pete Maravich, Kevin Grevy, and Maurice Lucas. And he only got an HO. So that's, uh, that's the history of the All-Star Game horse competition. Well, these these tidbits are why I have you on the pod, Frank. That's some, that's some <laughs> Where would we be without Wikipedia? Two two issues with what you just read, though. One that sounds way too formal. For, for oh my god! Wait, there's rules. There's a rule book. And then also Omri Caspi. I mean, what are what are the who's picking the participants? In the- I I have no idea. Well, yeah, I, I'm sticking Caspi. to like if if we got Steph, Luca, we got some actual real fun participants, and and yeah, weren't uh, weren't like you know checking the rule book and stopping it every 15 seconds. Yeah, that would be way more enticing. I I think that could be. I think it could still be fun. But Frankie, I've had you on long enough. This was this was a blast as always. Thanks uh, thanks so much for coming on and taking the time. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks for having me. I had a good time. 
Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Please, if you can, if you have a moment, go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and review, preferably five stars. And uh, if you could give any thoughts about what you like about the show, that would be much appreciated. We are also on Spotify, so uh, you can give us a rating on there as well. If you'd like to find some other content outside of this podcast, you can find me on Twitter, at Garrett Bougay, that's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. I will be uh, tweeting various uh, MBA thoughts as well as some, some thoughts on some other uh, interests of mine, including soccer and film and television. So uh, if you're looking for some of my takes throughout the, the course of the week, you can find me there. You can find my co-host Corbin Ford on Twitter at CorbinNBA. That's C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. So uh, he, uh, he does, a, d- does a good job on Twitter as well. He's very active. I'm also doing uh, some work as a contributor for Rip City Project, which uh, does all things Blazers. So if you're looking for some written content, you can check those websites out. Corbin also does his own pod on the side called NBA Today. Uh, he, uh, he does some, some fun work over there, so, so please, I encourage you to check that out. But uh, thanks so much again for, for listening, and have a great rest of your day. Leftovers or... The DMV Number 97 Or House cleaning Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun Play over a hundred different games online For free from anywhere You could redeem some serious prizes Chumbacasino.com Live the Chumba life No purchase necessary We're prohibited by law T plus terms and conditions apply See website for details Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details.